but uh, it is a, an incredibly pricey thing, and I appreciate that you have been willing to financially support me, but I am even more grateful for the thoughts and prayers that have been sent my way and the success of this mission, because that is truly uh, the most important part to all of this, and knowing that we have brothers and sisters that want to further the work of Christ and are ready to do so uh, at a moment's notice, and, and to be able to support me and, and that are continuing to pray for our success is something that is incredibly encouraging to me and the other brothers that are engaged in this work. So I uh, did go this year and was able to go. It was uh, quite a difficult mission to be able to go through, uh, primarily because of some of the obstacles that we ran into, but I'll get into some of the details there. I wanted to start this evening with a passage from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they who believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, one of the things that I want to point out in this particular verse, of course, talking about evangelism and spreading the gospel to others. One thing that I want to point out is there are three parties that this verse mentions specifically when it comes to mission work. The first is, whom they have not heard. Well, that obviously is a reference to Christ. Because if they're talking about the person who they are going to be believing on, well, that is, of course, Jesus when we're talking about the gospel. The second part is, how are they going to hear without a preacher? Well, that's the part of the missionary, the person that actually goes and brings the good news to others. And then, how are we supposed to preach unless they are sent? And so, these two roles, the human roles are ones that each Christian should play at least at some point in their life. There should be times where you are playing the role of the preacher, the evangelist, and there should also be times where we each are playing the role of support, uh, whether it be through financial support, prayers, assistance in other ways. And so right now, what's going on, the, the relationship that I have with this congregation is I'm the preacher being sent, and you are the people that the... Uh, author there, Paul, mentions in Romans, is the one who is doing the sending. And so the Bible acknowledges that this is something that is going on even back in the first century. It is a model that the original apostles used, and it is one that we are playing our respective parts here. And so I want you to be encouraged by that. Don't think that just because uh, all you're doing is sending support and not actually going yourselves that you are not part of this mission work, because you absolutely are, and we even have biblical backing to back that up. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, the gospel, in essence, is just the good news. It is the news that there is a Savior, a God, that was willing to take on human form to dwell among His people and love us enough to give His own life so that we may, in turn, have eternal life through Him. That's something that I want to emphasize because I think so many times when we talk about this idea of evangelism, we tend to get caught up we tend to be very self-conscious. You know, what if, I, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I preach something in error? What if I uh, make some kind of mistake or, or come at them too strong or not strong enough? And something that happens there results in that person rejecting the gospel. And I'm not saying that those concerns shouldn't be considered because if we didn't have concern for that, we would be very cavalier and reckless. And that's not the idea that we get from the Bible, we understand that there's some intentionality, some preparation that goes on, and we have those examples from the early church as well. But what I am saying is sometimes we allow our concerns to freeze us. 
We allow fear to bow us up and, and keep us from actually going out and proclaiming the word boldly, which is what the Bible prescribes. And frankly, I had a little bit of a, a crisis of faith myself not long before I left for Ukraine this year. It was something that, that I started having some of those similar doubts and worrying about that because, you know, it's, we're looking at it through fleshly eyes. We're looking at it from the standpoint of a human being. And because of that, sometimes we get caught up in the numbers, get caught up in how many people we save. And I'll get into some of the specifics with Ukraine in a while, but I was thinking about my own success rate and it bothered me that it wasn't higher than it was. And then uh, I really started contemplating at the end of the day, I'm somebody that has had a lot of advantages. I mean, I'm somebody that's in a master's program studying theology at the graduate level. There's a, a very small percentage of the human population and even a small percentage of Christians that ever get to delve into the scripture to that level of depth. But the truth is, I don't actually need any of that to preach the good news. I don't need to understand the finite, minute details of the gospel surrounding it to know that there is a Savior that loves other people and wants to save them. I'm not saying that the details are unimportant, don't get me wrong there. But what I am saying is, you do not have to have a graduate degree to be able to win people over to Christ. That's the easiest sell in the history of humankind, that there is a God that loves you and he wants you to live a better life. And we have to remember that ultimately our success rate is not what God is looking at. He is more concerned with our willingness to do that than he is with how much success we actually have or how many souls we save. You, you think about great preachers in the past like Noah who preached for a hundred years and only saved seven other souls. You think about Christ, who uh, is the Savior, but at the time when he was alive, his following was not a big portion of the population, and at times it dwindled down to only 12. And so I think that we have to always be aware of the fact that we need to look at our mission work through God's eyes and not our own. The bringing of the gospel is a, a broadcast of a seed. It is not something that we measure in terms of human measurements. And I have to say, I've had these advantages, uh, but ultimately that's not something that is essential for spreading the gospel. And I, I want to say that also to encourage each and every one of you to remember that as well. You, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have intensive years of training to be able to share the gospel with someone. I mean, you think about Peter when he teaches other people, or not, not Peter, Philip. Uh, when Philip meets Jesus, his reaction is immediately, I mean, for all we know, he's only known Jesus for a few days, and his attitude is, come on, let, let's go see. Let's, let's see this person that I've been telling you about. I mean, it was almost instantaneous. He was ready to share the gospel with other people. And so, ultimately, that's not something that you have to have to evangelize someone. I love this quote from one of my Bible professors at Faulkner, Dr. Terry Edwards, who's just a fascinating person. He's been doing mission work literally his entire life. His children were born in the mission field. That's how dedicated he is mission work, and he says this, evangelism is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. I think that's fairly significant because it impresses upon us the seriousness of the mission and the task that we have been given, that God, knowing our fallibilities, knowing our shortcomings, knowing that we were going to have imperfections, decided, you know how I'm going to spread the good news of my son? I'm going to let people handle it. I'm going to let flawed human beings that I have rescued from eternal damnation because they were not worthy of me, who were sinners 
I'm going to let them spread the gospel. I mean, that's incredible to me. That ultimately, that was God's plan from the very beginning, that I'm going to send my son to die, and he's going to show them the way, and after that, it's up to them to spread the gospel, and here we are 2,000 years later talking about it. And so, I think that that really impresses upon us the fact that God trusted us with something like this. So, now that I've gotten with the, the overview sort of here, I want to get into some of the specifics and our specific methodology with going into the Ukraine. We've tried several different methods. This is the pattern we find works the most often. So the first thing that we do is we make friends in the community through benevolence. There is a massive benevolence need in Ukraine, primarily in the past few years, because of the aggression from Russia. A lot of people don't realize this. It's not something that garners a lot of headlines or, or gets a lot in the news, but ever since the annexation of Crimea, there has been combat ongoing, not necessarily in, in large numbers, but there has been a combat zone between Russia and Ukraine for the past several years. And frankly, not to get into the, the details of the politics of it, but it looks like it may be ramping up again very soon. And so continue to pray with the people of Ukraine. But as horrible as that is, as our God has a habit of doing, he takes horrible situations and uses them as opportunities to further his will. Uh, I can tell you story after story that I've heard from our brethren in the Ukraine of people that have come to them and asked to be taught the gospel specifically because they had some kind of aid given to them that was done in conjunction with materials on the Church of Christ. And that is in, in part thanks to the donations that you have been given out. One of the translators that we met while we were over there, she and her son were by themselves. Her, her husband left her a number of years ago and she was caught right in the middle of, of the fighting and had to flee her home, leave everything that she owned behind except for the clothes on her and her son's back. And when she got to West Ukraine, where we do our mission work, uh, the first people that she found were the people in the congregation that we planted there. And the reason is because she was able to get food and survive through food that was sent there that had a sticker on it that said the Dalreda Church of Christ. And so there are people that are touched by this, that are affected by this, and, and many of them do seek out the church specifically because of that benevolence. And in these individual communities, what we typically do is we go to people in the community and we ask them what they need, what can help them out. Uh, we've helped different hospitals, mental health facilities, different places like that. And, and normally when we do that, and we bring that benevolence, what we do is we establish a relationship with them first, and then that gives us a foot in the door to help spread the gospel as well. And we've planted several congregations with that as our first step. Typically what we do with the mission work where we send Americans over is we go out into the schools and teach children English. That's one of the things that we do as well. So we'll go into the schools and granted, it's kind of where you have to test the waters because you're never really sure whether the school is going to be okay with that or not. And so you kind of dip your toe in to see how they feel about it. Some schools are very open to that. I've had some schools that are even willing to have me teach Bible right there in the classroom. And that really is a blessing. I, I've had them used Bible verses to teach kids English before, and they're perfectly okay with that. Sometimes they're very skeptical of that. You want to make sure that you, you take a very cautious approach, and you have to talk just about English and then save the Bible lesson for later when you invite them later on that evening. But that, that's one of the ways that we get involved too. And then what we do is we invite them to Bible classes that are taught in English. And that's the hook that we use in there. English is very popular over there. In Ukraine, it's the most popular second language, and it's the universal language of academics. And so because of that, a lot of parents see their child learning English as a footstool into a better life. 
And so because of that, that's one of the methods that we try to use there is we invite them to, to be able to teach English and practice English, and they love being able to speak English with native speakers, people that their native tongue is English, and it's a different experience. It gives them more experience teaching with somebody or speaking with somebody that thinks in English. And so because of that, that's something that is very appealing to them. And then we invite them to that class and we invite their parents to come also. So it's kind of a similar formula that we do here with Vacation Bible School in America, where we'll invite the children to come, and that is certainly something that we're wanting, but really kind of the ultimate goal is to get their parents involved and to get them coming to, to class because of their children. And then we can help teach them about the Bible as well. And that's why when we do these classes, these nighttime classes, we always do so having an adult class available so that they can come in and they can hear the classes too. And we present all of those classes in both English and Ukrainian. So it gives them the opportunity to get to hear both as well. And sometimes the parents want to work on their English and, and that appeals to them as well. And the reason that we use this method and the reason we start with benevolence is, is really something that we drew from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3. And then this Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but I do not have love, it does me no good. We take that to heart. And because of that, I think there's something innate in the human mind and human nature that, that knows this, even if they wouldn't be able to articulate it the way that Paul would. And that's the reason that we always start with benevolence. We always start with, hey, we're just here to teach some English classes. And whether or not we get anybody to come to those Bible classes, we still continue to do that because that shows them, look, we're not you know, a cult. We're not trying to sell you something. We want you to learn those things, sure, but ultimately we're here to help you whether you listen to us or not. You know, that's one thing that we learn about evangelism, looking through the Gospels and looking through the early church. They just helped people. They didn't ask if they were going to be converted or be baptized first. They went to them and offered them help first and then tried to teach them the Gospel. And so we try to follow that biblical model as closely as we can because just like Paul brings up here in 1 Corinthians, if people see your love for one another and if they see that you love them, they're far more apt to understand that you do care about them and, and are doing this in part because you want them to have a better life, not just because you're trying to increase the numbers of your own church. Uh, the village of Zelina is where I did most of my work this year. In fact, I spent almost the entirety of my trip in this village, and that's because I've been there before. Several of the people in this, con in this particular community know me. And so because of that, they felt that I was best suited to go back to this village since I was the only one that had been there before. So I stayed there for the entire week. It's located in the mountains of West Ukraine. It's a very tiny community, farming community. And so because of that, there's some people that are kind of skeptical of outsiders. There's some people that don't really like influences from outside of Ukraine. Some people really welcome it and enjoy it specifically because of that as well. And so it's kind of a two-edged sword there. Uh, but this is a very tiny, very rural community, and there's a, a lot of people there that, because of that very tight-knit community, and so uh, we've done a lot of work there in trying to, to work into, uh, get into the good graces of the local school and the local families there as well. Uh, very harsh conditions and roads over there, which presents a problem 
just from an infrastructure standpoint, it's very difficult to get people to Bible classes because travel is so difficult. Uh, That actually did become a problem in this past trip because the road, very rocky to the place that we were having the meeting, and because of that, it was very difficult for people to be able to get there. Uh, So we didn't have a whole lot of people come in person. We were able to offer some online courses and to be able to talk with them that way. We were able to do some in person, but it was always when we were having to go to them, it was very difficult to get people to come out because it was raining and cold and we had snow one day. And so you can imagine uh, sometimes, unfortunately, that does become a problem, but they're slowly getting better in Zelena because of a few things going on there. Um, And another thing is this community is very impoverished. They do have a few modern conveniences, but, uh, you know, they're very behind the times in that. It would have been kind of like Appalachia in America about the 1960s. That's about the level of technology they have. Although, weirdly enough, there are a lot of people with smartphones. So it's very bizarre. You know, you have a family with an outhouse and a smartphone. It's a weird combination, um, but that is the truth. I I did run into a family that, uh, that had that, and so... Uh, there are some modern conveniences, but, you know, very much limited because of the, uh, the altitude there and, and the poverty that is in this community. Uh, this is a picture of the village of Zelena. Uh, as you can see, very, very high in the mountains, very cold. You can see the houses there. Uh, unfortunately, I believe the screen's cutting off a little bit of my slide there, so you can't quite see all of it. But uh, that, that's just an idea of what the village... Um, as you can see, very rural. You can see a mountain stream running right by where we were staying, and so uh, very much uncharted territory. And uh, you can see there a little bit of snow we got. We got a little dusting of snow there in the mountain. I went there back in October and went from it being about 85 degrees in Montgomery to about uh, 60 in the daytime over there. So pretty big temperature drop-off. Uh, as far as a longitude goes, it's pretty close to Montana, has very similar climate to that, to give you all an idea of what it's like over there. And we were in the mountains, which didn't help things. Uh, there you can see, that's actually the lodge that we were staying at, and if you looked at the, the people that I'm with there, uh, that's Yvonne and Svetlana, his wife, and they are the ones that are responsible for giving us an inroad into this village. Uh, he is the minister at the congregation that has been over there in Ivano Franquis, which is the main congregation, the main village that we're building the church for. He's been the minister over there for, I believe, six or seven years now. And he moved to western Ukraine about ten years ago. So he's very familiar with this community, very familiar with this region. And he actually found out he had a long-lost cousin living in Zelina. And so because of that, he started meeting with her, started having Bible studies with her, and um, through that, started making some inroads in the community. And then two years ago, when you helped fund my previous trip, that's actually where I went. I went to their house and, and spoke with them. We had conversations for probably about four or five hours at a time for three days a week. I mean, we were just there. We answered all their questions, and we literally stayed until the sunset and everybody had to go home. It, w- it was physically impossible for us to stay any longer because they were going to shut down the roads. And so we did that, and i got to be honest. This is part of the thing where I, I got very depressed and very upset because we spent all that time with them, and when we walked away, they decided not to be baptized. They were not ready, and... Uh, they, we offered several times, and they, and they turned us down and said they weren't ready, and it was a difficult decision for them. And I walked away from that really feeling defeated. But 
you know what happened about four months later is I got a call from Ukraine and found out that Galena, who's the one who fed me all last week, or the week that I was there, uh, which by the way, fantastic cook. If, you ever, if you've not had a chance to go to Ukraine, the food's just absolutely amazing. Uh, but she was over there and we found out that she had been baptized. A couple weeks later, we found out her husband was baptized. And then a few weeks after that, her entire immediate family had been baptized. And we found out just about two months ago, her father, who is sort of the patriarch of the village, very important person in that community, he gave up his moonshining business, which was his source of income, and he was baptized. And so don't count yourself out or think just because you don't see immediate results that what you're doing is not working or doesn't have an impact on people. Because it took some time, but eventually the teaching that we gave them started to sink in and each of them were baptized. And now that particular, con- uh, that particular community, which had not a single member of the church in it just two years ago, now has a congregation big enough, and they've also converted some other people from this village, that they are meeting on Sunday mornings and getting together for worship and having the Lord's Supper just like the Bible commands. So uh, in a very short amount of time, relatively just two years, we actually have a congregation there, and they're starting to look for a permanent meeting place for that church. And so uh, God has been really bringing forth the, the increase in that particular community And it was amazing to see the level of growth going back there this year as well. And uh, speaking of building the church, there's a lot of local Christians there to carry on the work, like I just illustrated with Yvonne. And we have year-round benevolence now. And we're going to show you that in a second with the new church building that we've started to construct in Ugornike. We're actually using that as sort of a central hub because it has a large storage unit right next to it. And we're using that to store certain items that we don't necessarily need right now, but we're using it as a storage unit so that when somebody does come by the church and need something, then we can give it to them immediately. This allows us to do benevolence year-round as opposed to just in spurts like we were doing previously. So somebody comes by, yeah, I really need a new pair of eyeglasses, mine broke, or I really need some crutches, my my, uh, son broke his leg or something like that. Just go out to the warehouse and go ahead and get it. We don't have to wait you know, weeks or months for them to arrive from America. And so that is something that has been extremely helpful as well. Uh, the church building there in Ivana Franquise, I think it's technically in Ugorniki, but it's close enough to Ivana Franquise that people are, are calling it that and, and kind of going out there. Uh, that's something that uh, we're working on right now, and it is coming very close to completion. We've been working on it for about three years, but it's, it's getting there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11 uh, talks about building the church. Uh, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. Now, of course, using an analogy here for a physical church building, but also the building up of the brethren in the spiritual sense. That's another thing that we hope to accomplish when we send people over there. So not just the increasing in numbers and preaching the gospel to those outside the church, but you would be amazed at how encouraging it can be for members of the church to see all of us come over here. And it really is a testament to how much we love them and care about them and are concerned about their mission in their own communities there in Ukraine by going over there and visiting them and encouraging one another in that way and having fellowship with them. 
So this is the church building that they're working on. Now that giant red box thing that they're installing right there, that is a generator for the heat because, like I said, Ukraine, very, very cold. And that will be able to heat the church building in its entirety because of the way that they've installed it for the entire year. They can do it year-round. And this thing will work off of just about any fuel. You can burn wood, you can burn coal, you can burn trash. It will even work off of that. And so uh, it's a really incredible device that they've put together and installed. And we have saved a lot of money because the men of this congregation, I got to tell you, they have saved us so much money because they do most of the construction work themselves. And they did all this installing. All four of the men there that you're seeing that unloaded it and installed it and everything, all members of the church. Uh, the one over there to the, to the left of the picture is Andrew. Uh, back there is Ruslan. He's Ivan, the, the guy that was in the picture with me earlier. That's his son. And so all of these guys are members of the church. Uh, if you look here, you can see Yvonne and Ruslan again. And those two guys in the middle, that's Giff and Nate, who are members of the Dalreda Church, who went over there. They actually weren't there the same week as me. They went the week after me. In fact, funny story, uh, I actually left on the plane that they came in on. So they got off the tarmac. They're walking through. I'm in the security area, and so I just waved at them as they passed by because they got off the plane, and I got on the plane and left. So they were there the week afterward, and that's actually inside the church building that they are building right now. You can see there, I'm not sure exactly how, you, how well you can see it on these TVs, but that is the floor of the church, and that generator that you just saw, that's all of the piping that goes from that generator. And so they're putting all of the pipes throughout this entire building, and it heats the entire building year-round. And so it's not a forced air system. It's, a, it's a kind of a radiator system that they're using. And they were able to install it all without any construction costs because they did all the labor themselves. All they had to do was buy the materials. Uh, that's part of the generator installation that they're doing right there where they're laying concrete over the pipes. So that'll be the flooring of the new church building. And this is really an important part of that, too. That's the finished product right there where they have it all installed. And this is a really important aspect because this is one of the smaller rooms upstairs in the church building. One of the things that we're going to use this building for is it will be the first school of preaching in the Ukraine. We actually have rooms and dormitories on site on the campus where they can stay and live so they don't have to worry about their living expenses while they're learning the gospel and learning how to bring the good news to other people. And so this is an incredible work that we're doing. And, and like I said, the same heating system runs through all of this. It has all the modern amenities that they'll need to do this. And so they can focus on learning God's word so that they can better teach it to other people because of having this resource there available to them. Uh, the English to Bible, like I said, very, very popular thing over there that we sort of get our foot in. Whoop. Yeah, that was smooth. Uh, we get our foot in the door by teaching English to them through the scripture. And, and when we do teach them English, what we do is we use Bible verses to teach that to them. So English is something that is taught in virtually every single school in Ukraine. And it's taught at a very early age. So if the child's above about the age of seven or eight, that gives us an immediate inroad to say, hey, we're native English speakers. We'd like to come in and speak to your English class. And just about every school in Ukraine will allow us to do so and are, frankly, quite thrilled to see us because it gives them a chance to talk to native speakers. Uh, like I already said, some schools are fine with teaching the Bible. Some schools are a little bit more skeptical about it. And uh, they really like the ability to practice with native speakers. We also have one of our Ukrainian members of the church over there that is fluent in English named Julia. 
uh, the guy that you saw installing the generator, Andrew, that's her husband. Or, and, and so what she does is she has an after-school program where she allows kids to practice their English with her. But what she uses to practice her English with is the Bible. I actually got to sit in on one of her classes, and they were doing Noah's Ark that day. And so she had students up there, and they had to hear the story of Noah's Ark and then translate it into English, and that's how they learned the story. And so they'll do that with different Bible verses. And uh, finally, there are video sermons that I was able to do while I was over there. For those of you who don't know, my other job is I'm a broadcaster. I used to have a talk show. And because of that, I have certain equipment and certain abilities when it comes to that. And so what we did was my translator, Christina, she was there sitting next to me. And I gave a sermon about how to be saved, about the differences in the church here and the difference in the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, which is the primary religion over there. And they can hear that sermon and then hear it translated in Ukrainian. And so they can use it either as a teaching tool for English, but primarily we're hoping that they hear the message of the gospel. And now they have those archived and can access them anytime through the Internet as well. And so the ability to actually be in Ukraine and to have a Ukrainian translator to be able to do that for us, since Ukrainian translators digitally through the internet are usually not great because it's not a more common language. Uh, having an actual translator there to translate it for them that knows the gospel uh, was something that was a, a really big benefit to them. You can see there, that's actually the school that we were able to go to there in uh, Zelina. So um, older building, but there's about, if I had to guess, about 40 kids that go to this school uh, of all different ages and grades, and so uh, we were able to speak to just about all of them. Uh, that's a picture of us with the principal of the school and one of the head teachers there. I'm presenting her with a blood pressure cuff in that community because it's so small and because there's not that many people there. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. The school nurse there kind of functions as the town doctor as well, and so they needed a blood pressure cuff and told us that that was something that they would like, and so we were able to to buy one and bring it to them. Uh, here's just a picture of me with some students. Some of these kids, you'd be shocked at how good they are at English, uh, certainly better than I am at Ukrainian, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you'll see the little one there that's right next to me that's kind of in the background there. She could actually have full conversations with me in English, so uh, very impressive to meet some of these young people. That's my translator, Christina, who I was able to do the, the videos with and was also with me the entire time. It's funny because uh, we told them that I was going to be teaching the class in English, which was technically true, and, and I did come up with the lesson plan, but really, since I don't speak Ukrainian and she does, she was really doing more of the teaching than I did, and that's why I had this picture of her teaching these two girls uh, some of the English that we did, and she was also instrumental in teaching the Bible classes. This is us with the, the advanced English class that we were able to talk to as well. Uh, and that brings me to Matthew 10, 16 through 20. Uh, where Jesus is giving his own disciples some advice on how they are to go out and preach the word. And he says there, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wary as serpents and as innocent as doves. But be on guard against people, for they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogue, and you will be even brought before governors and kings on my account as a testimony for them to the Gentiles." Now, this is something that, unfortunately, I have to tell you, we did have to deal with just a little bit. The scripture tells us to be both wise and innocent. So we tried to emulate this. We tried to be harmless. We tried to, as I said, put forth the benevolence first and let them know that we do really care about the people here. And we also want to preach the gospel. But we had to be sharp with it. 
Because in this particular village, like I said, it's very rural, and there's some people that do not like outside influences. Uh, there were people that, that came after us and wanted to run us out of town that tried to keep us from speaking to the school kids there. The majority of them were very receptive, very hospitable, but we did have a few that didn't like the fact that we were there, and that's important to understand because in this particular nation, you have to remember that in all Eastern Orthodox nations, the Orthodox Church is tied in with the government, and their religion is tied in with their national identity. And so to a lot of people, and this happened when Galena actually converted and, and became a Christian, she had neighbors that said that she was a traitor to her country for becoming a member of the Church of Christ. This is also kind of humorous, too, because they refer to the Church of Christ as the American Church. Um, and I, they don't understand that, no, we're a church in America, we're not the American Church, and we have to explain that. Um, but, you know, they think that every country has one church just like theirs does. Uh, but anyway, but that is something that becomes an obstacle to us. And because of that, and because it's so tied in with that community, you have to understand that when we're asking these people to convert, we're asking them to do something that not unlike it would have been in the first century, will ostracize them from their community. There will be people in their community and oftentimes people in their own family that will refuse to talk to them or have anything to do with them if they convert away from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And so this is something that is a real concern. Ivan, the, the man that I was in the picture with earlier in the slideshow, he has been beaten and left in the street for dead before. He had to flee to New York about, I don't know, it was right before the pandemic, so maybe late 2019. He lived in New York for about six months because the law came after him off trumped-up charges that had nothing to do with him. And uh, he and his family got asylum status in the United States because there were people that were seeking his life and seeking to imprison him just because of his religious beliefs. And so you don't think about that happening in a, in a European country, but this is something that is a reality for them. And thankfully, as an American going over there, I never really felt threatened. I never really felt like anybody was willing to you know, do me harm or anything. But for the Ukrainians that convert over there, they have to live over there. And that is something that is a concern for them. The price of obeying the gospel is high for them. And it's something that we have to be aware of. Uh, but it seems as though I'm, I'm coming up short on time. So uh, I just wanted to bring up one last thing before we do that. There is a lot of fruit to bear. There is a lot of fruit that is being done over here. There is a new children's clinic in Ugorniki that we've been able to completely revamp and remodel uh, that has been able to help countless children over there. We have remodeled a mental health facility for adults, which there's not many mental health facilities in the country anyway. I think that was one of two of them. Uh, we were able to completely revamp it. They are able to have a kitchen now where they can cook on site to, to help out with that. And so that was something that was really helpful to them. New medical supplies at a hospital that I was able to visit, they, they were able to do that. Um, improvements to an orphanage in uh, Yurimchi that we were able to go up to, and, and this building was falling in on itself. Uh, kids were getting sick because of the living conditions there, and we were able to completely remodel it and give them a new building. And so, and as I already mentioned, the, the video Bible languages that are in both lessons, so... There is a lot of good that is being done, and I just wanted to thank each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart for supporting this good work that we have here. So uh, with that in mind, let us go ahead and, and pray to God together and give thanks for this. 
Father, we appreciate so much the many blessings that you have given to us. We are appreciative of this congregation and the fact that you have established the church and you have put it here to be your representation of your kingdom here on this world. And we appreciate that this congregation has lived up to that. We appreciate uh, the good work that you have allowed us to do, that you have helped see that to its fruition, that you have helped it to give the increase and that many souls have been taught your word As a result, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give to us and that you look out for us and that ultimately you reign in the hearts of men. We're appreciative of your gospel and that we are given the awesome and terrifying responsibility of spreading it to others. And we pray that you would give us boldness and strength to preach the good word of your son wherever we are, whether it's in our own communities or in foreign mission fields. Father, we pray that you would always give us the kind of boldness and fervor and zeal for your gospel that your son and the apostles had for it. Help us to follow their models and to always look to you for guidance and strength in this and every other area of our Christian walk. All these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. Now, we've been talking a lot this evening about evangelism, about bringing the gospel to other people, but we know that that's not the only thing that the church is responsible for. We know that the church is also responsible for seeing to the spiritual well-being of its members and the people that are in its midst. And if this is something that you have had a problem with, if you've maybe been not willing to spread the gospel and to teach others, uh, as you have been, if you have some kind of personal struggle that you're dealing with, or if you maybe have not taken that commitment yet and you have not obeyed the gospel yet in loving obedience and baptized in the name of Christ, that is something that we can do for you tonight. If you have any of those needs or you would like the prayers of the church, please let us know that now while we stand and sing together.